Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? Hey, what's going on, everybody? How y'all doing today? And welcome back to another episode. If this is your first time listening, uh, my name is Tim, and you are listening to I Believe Now What? This is a podcast dedicated to just building up, edifying, and spreading the good news of the gospel to all those who believe, and also how to explain specific passages. And that's why we have the title, I Believe Now What? So, as we continue on today... Today's episode is going to be kind of special, all right? So I did a sermon not too long ago at a church, and this time I actually remembered to record it. Usually I forget, and any of you who's ever preached before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you get those those nerves, those jitters, you're, you, know, you're, you, you just want to make sure you get the word out there and you do it right and you're pumped up and it's a good kind of nervous. But in that nerves, I usually forget to press record whenever I'm preaching at a church. Luckily, this time, my wife reminded me just beforehand, don't forget to record, because she's usually off in the background hitting record for me on her phone, but the audio just doesn't sound great when it's not up there. Anyways, y'all don't want to hear about that. Um, this particular uh, message, sermon, Sermon's a better word, I like that. This particular sermon is going to be over abiding in Christ, and specifically in the book of John, where Jesus is talking to his disciples right after the Last Supper about abiding in Christ, abiding in him, how a branch abides in the vine, bears much fruit. Anyways, I don't want to give you the whole sermon. This is that sermon right here. And I hope you all enjoy. And as always, leave any questions, comments, concerns, gripes, complaints, or maybe something good on our Facebook, our Twitter. I believe now what? Just type it in. You should find it. Thank you all very much for everything and all that you do. Hope you enjoy the message. All right. Now, before we get into our passages, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to come together and gather in your name, Lord. Thank you so much for the beauty you surround us with in this world. This world is full of sin, Lord. This world is full of people who reject you, but yet you still shine beauty on this world. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we pray that the, the, the creation of this world is a testimony to other people that will draw them towards you, Lord, that you're drawing them. Thank you for allowing us to congregate together, Lord. We pray for all those who are being uh, indirectly affected by the virus with the jobs and schooling and all this stuff, Lord. I pray that you just take out any type of spirit of fear, Lord, and just put a spirit of trust in him and know that you you have this, Lord. We don't have to worry about it because you have this, and we trust in your divine sovereignty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, our text is going to be in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. When you're there, go ahead and say you're there. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Don't worry, take your time. I got all day. (laughs) Looks like we're good. All right. And Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, 
neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have, have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Thank you. You may be seated. So before we dive into this text and fully start breaking it apart, I want to put the story in context. As you know, I like to do, I like to to give the backgrounds and put this in a full type of context way so that way we can understand it better. Now, this is an analogy. Some people do call it a parable too, that that Jesus is giving, uh, which is part of something called the farewell discourse. I'm not sure if you ever heard of that. This is Jesus is pretty much his last teachings to his disciples. Uh, the setting is just after the Last Supper. Last Supper was conducted. Judas ran off to go betray. And Jesus said, all right, let us, let us get up and go from here. And they start walking to the garden where Jesus is ultimately betrayed. This happens somewhere in between. I'm not sure exactly where because I couldn't find it anywhere in my Bible, but I'm assuming it was on the way as they were walking towards the garden. We know it was sometime in between there. Now, uh, as we're going through this, I, and I was, I was studying this and I'm reading this and I understand the basic truths of these passage. And I'm just like, so, you know, why now was God show, telling this to these people? Why God, why was God saying this now to his disciples? You know, obviously he's leaving, so he's trying to prepare them, but there was a big overall, just like I said, elephant in the room that I think wasn't addressed. Now, if you can imagine yourself as a disciple of Jesus, you know, you're one of the 12 and you've been walking with him for three years and with the same 12 people for three years. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And you saw, if you read through the passage before, you saw the disciples were, who is it, Lord? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Nobody had any idea who it was. You know, they didn't know who it was. And of course, we end up finding out it was Judas and Judas ran out. What do you think the feeling in that room was when that happened? Like, are you, are you kidding me? This is Judas. This is the guy who handled the money. He was the, he held, if you didn't know that, he held all the money for, uh, for the disciples and their funds or whatever else they were doing. I don't think there was any indication that they knew Judas was the one that was going to betray. So I feel like Jesus really wanted to address this. And I, I, I truly feel, and I might be, hopefully I'm not adding anything in there, please, Lord. I hope I'm not. I really feel Jesus said this part right here to explain Judas to them on how there are people that will give the appearance of following Christ. I mean, look at Judas went with Jesus for three years. He listened to all of his teachings. He saw the miracles. He saw everything done, walked with him for three years, but yet he was not saved. How is that possible? And I think Jesus is giving us the explanation right here. 
So let's go ahead and start breaking this down verse by verse and we can understand what it meant then and try to apply it into what it means now for us today. We start with verses one through two. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. What we see here is Jesus start, this is his last I am statement in the book of John. Everybody knows all the different times that Jesus said I am and the significance of that. Just like uh, when the the burning bush, when God was talking through Moses in the burning bush, you know, what should I call you? I am, you know, I am that I am. He is the great I am. Um, And Jesus had a lot of these I am statements. This was the last one in the book of John. And here he states that he is the true vine. And there's a lot of significance behind this uh, as Jesus being the true vine, because in the Bible, the vine was often described as Israel. If you go through so much of the Old Testament and so much of the history, I mean, even some of the currency that they had in a specific time had a vine on it because Israel always referred to themselves or was thought of as a vine. Um, And a key place that you can find this in is Isaiah chapter five, verses one through two. Now don't lose your place in John because we're gonna keep going over it. But if you would, you can turn to uh, Isaiah uh, chapter five, verses one through two. Once again, don't lose your place in John because we're going to go right back to it. Isaiah 5, 1 through 2. Now it says here, Let me sing now for my beloved a psalm of my beloved about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug it all around, cleared it out of stones, cleared out all the stones, and planted with it the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and also carved out a wine vat in it. And he expected it to produce good grapes, but it only produced worthless ones. And obviously that is a reference to Israel. It was the choicest vine. It was God's chosen amongst, for no other reason. God chose that vine and he planted it and he expected it to bear good fruit, good grapes, something worthy, but instead it only produced worthless ones. And there's countless other passages you can go on in the Bible talking about the vine. And I think one of the best ones, we're not going to go there today, but if you want to study it later, write it down. Psalms chapter 80 is beautiful in describing a Psalm of David talking about a vine and, uh, and how that vine failed, the vine of Israel. And then the true vine was the Messiah, Christ. Of course, it wasn't revealed at that time, but David obviously had a belief in the coming Messiah. So... That's a good passage to study later on if you ever get the chance, Psalm chapter 80. Now, go ahead and go back to 1 John 15. As we continue our study in 1 John chapter 15, we also see another key player here. We see the Father, okay? So the Father is what? It says he's the vine dresser. So as the vine dresser, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit He prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Now, this is important. Let's examine it a little bit closer. Who are the branches attached to Jesus? That's every single person. Specifically in the passage, he's talking about the disciples. But in 
the big scope, he's talking about every single person that claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ. We are a branch attached to that vine. Paul even goes on to talk about it in his epistles, talking about how us, the Gentiles, you know, non-Jewish people, we're, we're grafted in. We are a wild olive branch grafted into the vine. And uh, I actually asked my dad about that one time, little side story. And he said, no, because he, he, he grew up, you know, where, where that was a thing. His, his dad actually grew grapes and stuff. And he was able to graft in. Um, he talked about how he was able to graft in actually wild branches into a, uh, into a vine. And it would, you know, produce that fruit. It was kind of cool actually hearing that, it, that that's actually a, a true thing. Anyways, side story over with that. Um, let's go ahead and keep examining this passage because it's very, very important. So we see two sides to this in the verse. Every branch that's in me uh, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. We see a negative side and we see a positive side. Bible does this a lot. Now, this makes uh, sense to anyone that has done any type of gardening because those who have that you can, you know, and if you, if you have not done any gardening, I'll draw a simple analogy. All right. So I have a satsuma tree in my backyard. Love it. Outstanding. And, you know, if it, when it bears fruit, you know, I cut the fruit off and then I prune up the branch, get rid of anything that I might see rolling on it. And then, you know, so that way the next harvest time, it'll go ahead and bear more fruit. If I see a branch that's just kind of useless, it's hanging there dead, I cut the thing off. I don't need it on there. If it's not going to bear any fruit, I don't need it. But before you can have a big harvest, you typically have to prune um, uh, prune the tree up. And I'm sure it's the same way with other produce and vegetables and anything else in agriculture. You have to prune it up. And that's exactly what God is doing here. Why would I want a branch? This is what I feel like God's reasoning is. Why would I need a branch attached to my vine that isn't producing any fruit? And now we're focusing on the negative side here. This is exactly what Jesus does to false believers. What's a false believer? It's just like what Titus 1 says. People who confess Christ with their lips but deny him by their actions... And sadly, there's a lot of people in there. My heart really goes out to them. I want them to see the truth of the gospel and have God work in their lives. But there are people like that who go to Christ for superficial reasons, whether it's social or um, they're seeking selfish desires for themselves. And they never fully place their trust in Christ. They're not abiding in Christ. And it says here exactly what the father does with them. He cuts them off and he throws them away. But on the positive side, uh, when we see a branch that is ripe and it has good fruit on it, we pick the fruit, like I said, we prune it, so that way the next time the harvest comes around, it's going to bear even more fruit. And that's exactly what God does with us. You know, So we are in Christ, we will bear fruit. Now, granted, when we were first became believers, we probably just bared a little bit of fruit, just little tiny fruits growing on there, not really too much to it. But then what does God do? He prunes us. And that pruning is cutting away at the useless parts of us. So maybe we have some ongoing sin in our lives that we're not really repenting of. What does God do? He takes that secret sin and he brings it to light. And that hurts. 
It hurts when that happens. It does. Trust me. It's happened to me before. I think it's happened to every true believer. God will take that deep down sin that you've been hiding and he will bring it to light, but he does it in kindness and love because he wants us to stop doing that sin and he wants us to repent of it. So that's what he's doing when he's pruning. He's bringing it to light and he's cutting it out. He's cutting it off. And in that place where that sin was, will produce more fruit later on. What are the fruits that we're talking about here? That's the good works that we do to glorify God. And now I've said it before in a sermon here once, you know, we don't do works to get saved. We do works because we are saved. And it's not something that we would have done on our own. It's something that the Holy Spirit enables us to do. And the more pruning that God does in our lives, the more we're going to be able to produce more good fruits, more good works in God's name. Oh man, I tell you, it's, it's really amazing when you think about back to your life and you just reflect upon your life when you first started believing and where you are now. I mean, that, that's sanctification at its best. That's God just making your life a living testimony and you're producing those good works to do his good pleasure for his glory. Because that's ultimately what it's all about. Let's go ahead and we're going to get back on that because, I mean, this verse kind of reiterates it over again. But let's look at verses three through five now. It says, already you are clean because of the word that actually, you know what? Hold on real quick. I'm sorry. I just thought of something. Uh... I don't know if anybody knows here, but there was a famous pastor this week who just, uh, he got caught in a scandal and fired from his church. And it's a very big, popular church. I personally do not like this church whatsoever. I, I, I don't believe in their teachings. I think they, they I, don't, I don't know if I'd call it necessarily a false gospel, but it's a misleading gospel. Um, and I've never really enjoyed their teachings, but this was a pastor that many people looked up to, one of those celebrity pastors, you know what I'm talking about? And he got caught, uh, he got fired for what they said was just multiple moral failures and other things like that. Essentially, he cheated on his wife and there were other things that happened too. Now, if this person is a true believer, and this is a way to look at it, if this person is a true believer, this could be God doing that pruning. He's bringing that sin out bringing it up so that way he can go ahead and repent of it. God's not going to let ongoing sin happen in a believer's life. I truly, truly believe that. Yes, we can't ignore, but what does God do when we ignore and ignore? He's going to bring the sin up just like it always happened. Man, I even remember stuff when I was a little kid. I tell a lie to my parents, you know, and somehow all the other kids are getting away with it, but my parents somehow found out that I was lying to them, you know? It's crazy how that happens, but that's the same way you know that God works is he brings that out so that way you can repent of it. Hopefully we're still not lying to our parents at all. But, <laughs> but uh, I, 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 it's funny how that works, but it's, it's so true. Charles Spurgeon, I'm sure most of y'all have heard of him before. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher. He once drew an analogy that said, you know, God being the vine dresser, and when he's holding that knife, when he's pruning, that knife is the word of God. You know, Jesus was the handle, he would say, and the knife was the word of God. Because that's what the word of God does. It cuts to us. It cuts us and it hurts. But through that hurting, we're getting rid of that in our lives. We understand where our sin is. 
How do I know one of the reasons the Bible's true? There is no other book in the world that can diagnose all my problems when I read it. You know, people probably look at the at the Christian and think we're crazy because the Bible's nothing but harsh stuff to people who don't believe. And it does seem harsh. It's a, literally a book of Jesus telling us and, and God showing us how truly wrong we are. But through that, it also shows us how amazing and gracious God is. You know, and that's, that's that Christian life. And I can go on forever about that. Oh my gosh. Like I said, I think back to where I was and where I am now. And that's gotta be God. <laughs> that's gotta be God. That can't be anything else. One day I'll give my whole testimony. <laughs> um, but now, verses three and five, before I get too sidetracked. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is stating the obvious here. A branch apart from the vine is absolutely useless. You think about it, you know, a branch not attached to the tree or on the vine, you know, it's not going to grow any fruit, can't do anything. It's just it's a dead stick. It's just sitting there. You have to stay attached. That's what Jesus is saying. Apart from Jesus, we will not be saved. We will not bear any fruit apart from Jesus. We can't do it any other way. Can't do it on our own, can't do it by our works, can't do it by going to some false belief or false religion. And there's religious leaders out in the world today saying, oh, all paths lead to heaven. All paths lead to Christ. No, no, it doesn't. Jesus is clear right here. He is the vine. He is the only path to heaven, the only way to heaven. And the only way to bear fruit is to abide in him. It upsets me when I hear this, uh, Catholic Church, great example. I don't know if you heard the Pope recently. Pope went on saying, you know, well, you know what? God approves of homosexual civil unions. Really now? Really? Where does it say that in scripture? This, this, but there are millions and millions of people that follow that man and look at him like he's Jesus Christ on earth, which he is not. And they will believe what he says. Hopefully through this horrible apostasy that's going on there, people will start to see now like, hey, that doesn't line up with the Bible and maybe they'll, they'll start coming back to a real gospel. I pray that, you know, God uses evil things for good purposes all the time. But moving on, a as I said, a branch apart from the vine is useless and you have to stay attached to God. You have to stay attached to Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we're not gonna be saved. We're not gonna bear fruit. Human works apart from God, and Isaiah 64 says this, is just like filthy rags. That's our works to God. Filthy rags. Even, even in, um, oh man, I can't remember the book right now, but, but, Christ, but you know, God said at one point to Israel, you know, Israel was singing music and praising him and doing their stuff and it was very ceremonial. And he said, hey, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but hey, look, your, your singing and praise is absolutely worthless to me. If you truly want to worship me, then go live your lives the way I told you to live your lives. 
That's what pleases God, abiding in him. True worship can really be abiding in Christ. Now, even Romans 12, one through two, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. This is a true form of worship right here. And that's abiding in Christ. Our works only mean something to God if we are his children and abiding in him. Jesus makes it clear when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He makes it clear, apart from me, you can do nothing. Our works mean absolutely nothing to God apart from him. We can say in Jesus' name this and in Jesus' name that, but if we're not true Christians living our life and abiding in Christ, it means absolutely nothing to God. And just to emphasize this point even more, if, if, down in verse 16 of this same chapter, he goes on to tell the disciples, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So, so much, it, it, when Jesus says you can do nothing, he really means nothing, even to the fact of saying, I'm the one who's enabling you to bear fruit. You know, you didn't choose me, I chose you guys. If it, I, I appointed it so that way you can go ahead and bear even more fruit. So when Jesus says we can do nothing, he absolutely means nothing apart from him. Now on verse six, it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. We're back on the negative side now. Jesus once again shows that there will be people like Judas who was claiming to be abiding in Christ. They gave all the appearances of abiding in Christ, but truly were not saved. Or think about the last week's lesson. We're truly not wearing the wedding garments. Judas was one of them. He was in the hall. He was ready to take part of the feast. Looked like he was good to go. But he never put on the righteousness of Christ. And that's what allowed Satan to enter into him and betray the Son of Man on that fateful night. So much on the Judas too that, uh, and I think this is just kind of a side note, but it, it makes me think of it. You know, what he did uh, and his unbelief you know, in Acts 21, 25, it says he went to his own place. And in Mark, Jesus actually said it would be better that if he had never been born. That's scary. I can't even imagine what that means. Oh, man. That's scary. And like I said, sadly, there are still Judases in this world today. No, they may not be directly betraying the Son of Man face to face with a kiss on the cheek, but there are people that are in church claiming to be Christians, just like we said before in Titus 1, claiming to be Christians with their mouth, but denying Christ by their actions. And that false testimony affects all of us. There's a lot of people out in the world that think really horrible things about Christians because they see someone claiming to be a Christian, but yet in their everyday life, they're not living it. Just like this pastor that just got exposed recently. You know, whether he's saved or not, I pray to God that he is. I hope that he is. And I, I got down on my knees and I said a prayer for him. And I hope God is sanctifying him and using him and, and he will come to recognize his sin. But if he isn't saved, if he isn't a true believer, this just gives more reason for people to look at Christianity and go, what a bunch of hypocrites. What a bunch of hypocrites. 
they preach this and preach that. And this guy's been preaching, you know, for the last 20 years. And here he is having extramarital affairs and doing other stuff. That's another reason why, side note, God or, you know, Paul was really specific when he said, hey, if you want to be a church leader, if you want to be an elder in a church, here's the specific qualifications of being a church elder. You know, one of them was a, you know, a man above rapport, you know, to they had to have a clean lifestyle. Uh, we don't want that. We don't want contradictions happening in our church. And I granted, we are imperfect people, you know, serving a perfect God. And while our spirit has changed, our flesh is still surrounded by sin. Romans 7, Paul talks about that so beautifully. I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do, you know, and it's the flesh in me that's doing it, but my spirit has changed and just that whole, if you've read it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it's a war that's waged on between us, but at the same time, we know that we need to exercise ourselves on the righteousness because he talks about that later on. And how do we do that? It's abiding in Christ. Let's move on to verses seven through eight. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus is giving us the answer right here. Now, some people will take this verse out of context and run with it. Well, if I follow Jesus, he's going he's gonna to give me everything I wish for. He's going to give me everything I want. Oh, man, I've been needing a new Ford F-150 so bad lately, and I've been needing this or I've been wanting that, you know. No, that's not what it means. Obviously, we know that. But, what it, but some churches, sadly, take this one verse right here and build their whole theology on it, saying, come to Jesus. He'll give you whatever you want. The good book says it. Uh, not quite exactly the way that you're thinking of. Because what happens when we humble ourselves and we deny ourselves and we come to Jesus and submit to him as Lord of our lives? He changes us. We are born again. Or as Paul says, we are a new creation in Christ. The old person is dead and gone and we are a new creation in Christ. The stuff that we wanted before we were saved is no longer the same stuff that we want now. Would it still be nice if I got a brand new Ford F-150? Absolutely, I'd love it. It's great. But that's not something I'm ever going to pray for. Dear God, please give me a Ford F-150. I'm never going to say that, you know. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to pray for that. Like I said, it'd be nice, but I'm not going to pray for it because that's not what my heart truly desires. What my heart truly desires and what every person who's ever confessed Christ as Lord and truly meant it, their heart truly desires are the things of God, the things that he talks about in his Bible. That's what he means when he says, ask whatever you wish and it'll be granted on for you because that means if you're abiding in Christ, your will should be in perfect alignment with God's will. Does it always happen that way? No, not all the time because just like I said before, Romans 7, we're imperfect people. We're you know living in this imperfect body. But more often than not, our will should be reflecting the will of God. Because he's the one who changed us. He's the one who made us born again, made us a new creation. Jesus continues in verse eight, saying that his father is glorified by our fruit. Just as we've been saying all along. And not only that, but that fruit proves our very salvation. The fruit proves 
our salvation. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just like I said a, a few sermons ago when I preached here one time, in James, when James is talking about faith without works is dead, he wasn't saying, like I said before, and I'll say it many times, I don't feel like I could say it enough, our works don't save us. Our works prove our salvation, though. And once again, it's not us, it's God enabling us to do it. How can you tell a Christian apart from a non-Christian besides just them talking about it? It's their daily lives. It's their everyday lives. It's their actions. It's the works that the Holy Spirit enable us to do. It's the works that end up glorifying God. That's how we prove to be our disciples. So if anybody was ever wondering, am I truly saved? Am I truly saved? Am I a believer? Look back at your life. Look at the fruits that God has done in your life and have assurance on that. As we come to our closing and we look at our last verse here, verses nine through 11, it says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you can keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus loves those who follow him. And how do we say that? In love. Well, by keeping his commandments. Some might say, well, Tim, you know, that sounds like work-based salvation. And I know I always get worked up on this. But it's a, it's a true thing for me. Uh, you know, I don't want people to ever think that we believe in a works-based salvation system. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And that it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast. You know, Ephesians talks about that. But if you truly are a Christian, then you will follow the commandments of Christ. Not perfectly, I keep going back over it. Not perfectly. We try and strive for perfection, but that's the difference. Where a faker would, oh, I messed up. I'm just going to go back to the way I used to be. You know, but a true believer, I messed up. Let me get down on my knees. Let me repent. And let me struggle. That's why it's called, uh, have you ever heard of the phrase perseverance of the saints? I know it's an old school phrase, but yeah, perseverance of the saints. It's not... Uh, that's why when people talk about like once saved, always saved, it's like, okay, I pers- personally, me, I believe we cannot lose our salvation. I personally believe that. But once saved, always saved, I think is a phrase that is not correct. I think perseverance is a much better word because once saved, always saved makes it sound like, all right, I prayed the prayer. I'm good to go. Do whatever I want. God's got me in the end. I'm going to go live like the world. No, 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 no. It's persevere. We're going to struggle. And we're going to fail. And we're going to get back up. And we're going to keep moving forward. And we're going to keep believing. And then we're going to fail again. But then we're going to learn. And we're going to get back up and keep moving forward in this walk with Christ. That's why it's called perseverance. Persevere in the faith. So many times in Paul, Peter, John, they all talk about perseverance. Perseverance. We persevere in this world to our ultimate goal, which is in Christ. I can't wait. I can't wait for that day, you know. That day that we come before God and he looks at us and he's just like, all right, I'm ready. And I, 
I feel like I'm going to cry when it happens. But we also know that the Bible says there's going to be no more tears up there in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> but just to know that we are no longer have to struggle in this world of sin, where we, I feel like sometimes we're constantly displeasing God through some of the actions, you know, we, 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 we struggle and we persevere and we try and we try to abide in Christ the best that we can. Uh, and we know it's the power of the Holy Spirit that keeps us there. But I feel like even though we fail at times and we've let God down, but there's going to come a day when we're going to be up there with him and we don't have to worry about it anymore. So we're not going to be in this flesh. We're going to have a new body. Our body's going to be renewed. We're going to get a little worked up over it. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, I can't wait for that because I don't want to fail God. I don't want to fail him. I want to persevere in the faith. And I know you all feel the same way. We're going to be with him. We're going to be perfect one day. Our spirits are made perfect. Our bodies are just waiting for it now. (laughs) All right, we're going to go ahead and close there. Um, I do want to say, though, uh, another good passage real quick to, to look onto this, if you end up doing more studies into it, is Isaiah, Hosea 14.8. Uh, and it talks about there, our fruitfulness comes from God. I mean, I want to make that very clear. Hosea 14.8, our fruitfulness comes from God. It talks about that. Um, so don't ever feel the need to say, uh, to feel like your fruit bearing comes from you, you know. I need to do this and I need to do that and I need to do this and I need to do that. That's legalism, you know. That's what the Catholic Church does. That's what other denominations do. Um, And I'm not trying to sound harsh on the Catholic Church. I wish they would come over and see the truth, you know, that we aren't saved by works. We're saved by faith alone, through grace alone. But the fruitfulness comes from God. He talks about that. The branch can't make its own fruit apart from the vine. The vine that makes the branch grow the fruit. And God, the vine dresser, making sure we keep bearing more fruit. And I'm making the scissors motion with my hands. <laughs> um, if you take anything out of this message, please at least take that. Our fruitfulness comes from God, not of ourselves. And there's only one way to bear fruit, and that is abiding in Christ. Close with me in prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to just come together in your name, Lord. Talk about your word that you have given to us, Lord, that you have preserved for us. I pray that when we walk out of here today, Lord, that we will be able to keep abiding in you and bearing more fruit that ultimately gives you the glory, Lord. We pray that our faces, they'll be forgotten. In our works, they'll be forgotten, but ultimately the glory that our works that you enable us to do, Lord, will be for you. And you get all that glory, Lord. You sent your love onto us, a people who don't deserve it, Lord, in order that we may glorify your name. And I pray that we are doing that today, Lord. And I pray for this church. I pray for this church right here, Lord, that you will keep them strong, that you will bring more members in, Lord 
that you will empower us to bring more members in. Get this church going strong because Lord, I truly believe this is a Bible-believing church right here that believes in your word and believes in the power that's in the Bible, Lord. And I pray that you will enable this church through the Holy Spirit to just mightily make these people proclaim boldness out there to bring more people into this church, Lord. I thank you so much for everything that you do and in your will alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Yeah. <laughs>